Merry Christmas, and good morning. Welcome to Kahului Baptist Church on this nice and cool Lord's Day. Nobody's fanning yet, so that's a good sign. Uh, before we get in the sermon, a few things. Carissa Sanders had her baby. Uh, you, many of you know Keith and Tracy. They're members here. Their granddaughter uh, had their baby. There's some debate on to how we ought to pronounce her name, whether it be Ava or Iva. Ilani, and so uh, if you guys know them, please uh, reach out to them, encourage them, and congratulate them. So praise God for another child, and we've had many, yeah, praise God, about four, um, I think four within the past month, which is incredible. All right, uh, I also have to issue an apology, a public apology. I made an error in my sermon last week that no small amount of you pointed out my reference to Stephen King's birds was incorrect. <laughs> Apparently it was Alfred Hitchcock. My bad. Only about a quarter of you probably got that anyways. <laughs> All right. Exodus 20. This is part four of our Ten Commandments series. We will wrap it up today. If this is your first time joining us, uh, we have been walking through the Ten Commandments, walking through the book of Exodus. This is the uh, chapters 19 and 20 are the formal introduction, the second climax of the book of Exodus. Exodus is such an amazing book that doesn't have just one or two. It actually has three climaxes. And so we will get to the last one in 2018. You'll figure out what that is. But this is the second one. God has redeemed his people called them out of slavery in, from Egypt, and is now formally introducing himself to them. They will hear his voice for the first time, and it will terrify them so much. There's thunder, fire, smoke, trembling, ground. There's, it's just a terrifying experience. It is loud. They hear God speak, and they are so incredibly terrified that they beg him not to speak anymore and instead say, no, please don't, don't talk to us anymore. Moses, you let God talk to you, and then you tell us what he said because we can't handle this. So we've walked through each of these commandments. We've meditated upon each of them very briefly, their meaning, their application. We saw the threefold use of the law, one of which being to reflect, to demonstrate, to manifest the holiness of God and our own sinfulness, to restrain evil, and to instruct us in the way that is pleasing to God. So in this sense, as we have meditated on the law, many of us felt a lot of conviction the past three weeks. Amen? Anybody in here convicted the last two weeks, three weeks? Okay, a few, all of you. The rest are liars. Do not bear false witness, breaking the commandments already. There you go, all right? Hey, David, good to see you. Welcome back, buddy. You're getting big. Um, Yes, good job. You eat a lot. Good. I like to eat too. So the Ten Commandments are, a, they reflect our fallenness, the extent, the magnitude of our fallenness. It was said in when the pilgrims crossed over on the Mayflower, 
It was said that the sailors and the travelers preferred to eat their food in darkness. Why do you think that is? They preferred to eat their food not by light of day, but in darkness. You know why that was? So they could not see the maggots and the weevils in their food. So they chose to eat it in the darkness. Anybody hungry? Not, not anymore. The law is like this. We think it's good. We think we're good. We think we are okay with God. Like, I am a pretty good person. I don't kill people. I don't do any of these things. Until we study it. Until we meditate on it. And then it's like shining light. It's like eating in the light for those sailors. And we start to see our sin in ways we never saw it before. And I would contend that many today, in here and in our culture at large, just prefer not to think about it. I don't want to see it. Not only do I know it's present, but I don't want to see it, so I'm just going to stay in the darkness. And that's what they did, and this is one of the functions of the laws. It exposes, reveals our sinfulness. We covered, eight, we covered all of them. Eight out of ten of the commands are in the negative. Don't do this. Do not have any other gods before me. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Do not make carved images, and on and on. We also saw that these commands are a revelation of the good nature of God, that they were a good thing. There is grace in the law, as they say, and there is law in grace. We cannot draw a hard separation between the two. So in this last sermon, what are we to make of these, of this Ten Commandments, or of the, these summarize the entire law, don't they? There's not a hard separation like, oh, the Ten Commandments can be divorced from everything that comes after them. Every time you see Jesus and the writers of Scripture look at the law, it is an entire unit. They don't parse it out, the, the ceremonial use of the law, the civil use of the law, or the moral use. They don't parse it. It is a unit. You can't take ten of them and divorce it from the rest. The ten summarize the 600 plus. So what do we make of this as new covenant Christian Gentiles? Not Jews. I'm going to contend this morning that we have been freed from the law. We have died to the law. And being freed from the law, I'm going to explain that at least, that looks like at least four ways that I hope will put some of this into perspective. So let's pray and get at it. Father in heaven, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. That conviction, the condemnation, the demands that it placed that were contrary to our fallenness have been blotted out in Christ. Thank you. Thank you for sending him, for sending one who could do what the law could not do. And may this morning we meditate, worship, and go forth and proclaim his goodness to all people. In Jesus' name, amen.
All right, I have four points this morning. Number one, a new legal status is what you have. So you've been freed from the law in at least four ways. Number one, you have a new legal status. Number two will be you have new life. So you have a new legal status. You have new life. You have a new heart and a new king. So that's your points three and four. You have a new heart and a new king. So number one, your new legal status. What is that before a holy God? You are guilty. That is your legal status. You are guilty and pardoned if you are in Christ. Amen. You are guilty and pardoned because of Christ, in Christ. Galatians 3.13 would put it like this. This is an important passage. Christ redeemed us. He redeemed us. Think of that word. He purchased us out of slavery. Think of them. They were in slavery to Egypt and Pharaoh, and Christ redeemed his people. Christ redeemed us. We were slaves to who? To sin and death. See Romans chapter 6. Death reigned over us. Sin had dominion over us, and Christ redeemed us from what? From the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us. So understand the the Ten Commandments, summarize, right? The Ten Commandments were the law of God. And if you break the law, what do you get? Penalty, death. So the curse of God, the condemnation of God rests on everybody from birth. Everybody in this room and everybody who's ever born of all times of all place, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Christ, what we're going to celebrate in Christmas, who came born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, Christ came and redeemed us from the curse of the law, which is death by taking our place and becoming a curse for us. And what is the result now? The result of that wonderful work, Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Now, Let's gonna, we're going to practice something, all right? So Baptists historically are known for being kind of maybe a little cold and ho-hum and don't put your hands up and worship, all right? And I know some of you in here like to be a little more vocal, but you feel like, man, I just don't know because... So we're going to practice something, all right? So here we go. My left side, the right here. If you're sitting here, everybody say amen. 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 All right, let's try that again. Amen. amen. Okay, so and then the middle here, say praise God. Oh, that was good. All right. And then the right, I want you to say, hallelujah. hallelujah. All right. All right. So hallelujah. He's God. Okay. Now, if you hear something that encourages your soul, just let anything out, whatever you want. All right. But preferably not like a bad word or something. All right. But something that would encourage you. And then that is 
hopefully going to encourage everybody, all right? Because this is a multiple engagement affair, all right? So the Lord speaking to you through me by his word and you responding in your soul, all right? So we're going to try that. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Oh, there we go. All right. Practicing. Good. Now, this is important. Christ redeeming us from the curse of the law, that there is no condemnation because sin finds its strength in the law. And this is what we feel in battle with, all right? This is what Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians 15. This is what he says. The sting of death is sin. Here we go. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This means as we hear the law, sin finds strength. Because when I see and I reach out my hand to steal, the law says do not steal. And I desire that all the more. Paul says I would not have known what it was to covet had the law said do not covet. And so the law came, comes in and now sin finds its power. And it says, Christ gives us victory. He redeems us from the curse of the law. Now, how does this play out practically? Many of you, myself included, this can happen to us many times a week. We walk around feeling condemned with feelings of condemnation or low-grade guilt, like we're always doing something wrong, like I'm not measuring up, like, ooh, I tried today, but I didn't do it quite good enough. I was not as Christ-like as I think I should be. And that low-grade guilt or condemnation can act like a rock in my shoe that I'm just walking around all day long and it's just there and it's grinding on me and irritating me and I can feel it. And it's as if God is not satisfied no matter how hard we try. Am I doing this right? Am I doing that right? I messed up again. I'm a failure. I didn't read. I didn't read enough. I didn't pray. I didn't pray enough. I didn't meditate. I didn't meditate enough. I shouldn't be so rushed in my time with God. Am I even a Christian? Why do I even try? There's got to be more than this. Why does everybody else seem to have it all together? Forget it. I'm just going to look on Facebook. This is us. We walk around with low-grade condemnation, low-grade guilt. I wonder if everybody else can tell how bad of a person, parent, father, mother, son, daughter, worker, Christian I am. And it all comes together make you feel like you're walking on thin ice with God. Like you're unworthy of doing anything of eternal value. You're unworthy to serve in the body and unable to do anything that will ultimately matter. And I am here to tell you this morning, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. And that is a lie straight from the pit of hell meant to paralyze you in service for God. Hear me. Hear this truth. Underline it. Write it down. Memorize it like Matt spoke about. Burn it into your eyelids. This great truth. No condemnation for those in Christ. You have died to the law. 
in Christ. Now contrast this with the unbeliever, the person who is not a Christian, who doesn't follow Christ. That maybe is you this morning. Maybe you're here visiting. You don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You came with a friend. Or maybe this is somebody you know. No matter how happy they look, no matter how great their job appears to be, No matter how much their family may appear to have it together, they live in a perpetual state of cursedness and under the wrath of God. That's the unbeliever. Perpetual state of condemnation. And if that's you this morning, the presence of the law implies the presence of a lawgiver, a judge, the presence of a judge says you will give an account and we will all give an account for everything you have done in your life and everything you have not done in your life that you should have done you will stand before a holy God and answer for your life and if you are not a follower of Christ it will go horribly eternally horrible for you John 3.18, whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned. Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Think about that. The unbeliever, perpetual state of condemnation you walk in, no matter how good life is. In contrast, The Christian, if you're here, if you're a Christian, no matter how terrible your circumstances may be, no matter how bleak things may look for you, no matter how challenging the family dynamic is or what your work situation may be or health issues, you have Christ, the sure and steady anchor for your soul. The curse of the law is lifted, and no matter how you respond, no matter how you fail, no condemnation. No condemnation. Praise God. Amen? So that's one way, the first way, in that you are freed from the law. You are freed from the curse of the law. You have a new legal status, no condemnation. You are guilty and pardoned because of Christ. Number two, The flip side of no condemnation, you have a new life. That new life is you are declared righteous. Justification is the legal or the technical term. You have been justified, declared righteous in Christ. See, the law only promised life or blessing. The Mosaic Law, the Ten Commandments, right? That's a summary of all the commandments. They only promised blessing and life if they were conditional. It was not an unconditional covenant. The Abrahamic covenant, unconditional. Mosaic covenant, very conditional. It only promised God's blessing in life if they obeyed. Perfect obedience. Deuteronomy 11.26 and following says this, See, Moses, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I am commanding you today. 
and the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. See, Christ not only took our curse, but he positively lived a perfect life, fulfilled the righteous demands of the law. And so he can say in John 10.10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Amen. And so the result is what we call the great transaction. By faith, our sin is credited or imputed to Christ and His righteousness that He merited by His perfect life and obedience to the Father is transferred or imputed to our accounts. And what does this mean positively? What Romans 10.4 says, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes Christ is our righteousness. See, we try so hard to be good and fail, don't we? I'm going to try better. I'm going to wake up earlier. I'm going to set 10 alarms. I'm going to not do this. I'm not going to swear. I'm not going to look at these things. All right? Whatever that thing is, we try so hard and, and we fail, but Christ succeeded. Christ succeeded. He was victorious, and by faith, He imparts His righteousness to us. The result of this, what is it? God is pleased with you. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Why? Because you have His righteousness, which means God is fundamentally, if you're a believer here, pleased with you, and He loves you more than you could ever imagine. Amen? Do you believe that? God loves you so much. He sings over you. He sings. Have you ever seen a, a man maybe just infatuated with his bride-to-be? And he's just, maybe normally he's just quiet and smug, but then you see him whistling. Whatever it is, singing over his bride-to-be. God rejoices over you. Isaiah 62.5, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. It's hard for us to really believe. In, I mean, we can hear it. Man, that sounds cool. But the problem is, you see how sinful you are, don't you? So we're talking about you see your fallenness, you see your failures, you see your mess-ups, and it's kind of hard to really believe that God could rejoice over me. It's hard for us to believe, but it's true. Every word of it, God rejoices over his people. It's so hard for us to believe this that Paul prays in Ephesians 3.19. He prays that we would have divine help to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Do you ever think about that? Paul prays for believers that we would have divine help to know, to even know the love of Christ, the magnitude, the greatness of His love that surpasses knowledge. You can't even understand, you can't even begin to understand how much God loves His people without divine help. So are you a Christian this morning, Kahului Baptist? Know this, God is pleased with you. We have died to the law. He has redeemed us from the curse of the law. He has given us a new status in life. 
pleased, pleasing to God. He really is. Think about your week. You messed up, you struggled, whatever that was, month, year. God is pleased with you if you're in Christ. A student of Martin Luther heard this teaching of God's justification of sinners by grace alone, apart from works of the law, and once replied to Martin Luther, and he said, if this is true, then I can live however I want. And Martin Luther said, absolutely. Now what do you want? Now what do you want? Which leads us into our next point, number three. You are freed from the law, you have died to the law, and that you have a new heart. You have a new heart. What does that mean? It means that we are free from the law as an external, something outside of us, an external rule that contradicts our true nature and desires. We're freed from the law in the sense that we are freed from the law as it is an external rule or command that contradicts, that wars against our true nature and desire. And this is a result of having a new heart. See, think about this. For the unbeliever, the law comes from outside himself, from God. And it forbids the things he desires and commands the things he hates. So if you think about it, when the unbeliever says and looks at a woman lustfully, the law says, do not commit adultery. When he looks at his father and mother with scorn, the law says, you shall honor your father and your mother. You see, it stands as an external law outside of himself that forbids the things he desires and commands the things he hates. So Paul says in Romans 8, the carnal mind cannot submit to the law of God, cannot submit to God. It is hostile towards the things of God. Why? Because the law restrains through fear and warnings and judgment and threats of punishment, and we hate it. Case in point, how many of you love when a police officer is driving behind you? No, you're terrified. I wasn't looking at my phone. <laughs> Hands on the wheel, right? Why? Because through fear, fear of punishment, fear of ticket, fear of whatever, and we don't like it. We reject it. The unbeliever is like this towards the law of God. It stands outside of him, contradicting his true nature, and they hate it. However, conversely, the believer now in Christ, you've been freed from the law, means we're freed from this state of bondage. How? In the miracle of the new birth, the promises of the new covenant, the law is no longer outside of us. It is now internal, written on our hearts by the Spirit of God. Check this out. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Lance read it. It's worth reading again now that you have the background. Behold, the days are coming. Old Testament, right? So Jeremiah prophesying to Israel. They have broken God's law. They're in exile. He's promising more punishment to come. That's what Jeremiah says. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, 
when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made, and here it is, right? This is where we're at in Exodus. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Here it is. The law moves from outside to inside. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. No longer does the law stand in contradiction to our true nature, fallenness, a heart of stone and rebellion. God has taken our hearts out and given us a, he's done heart surgery in the miracle of the new birth. And he gives you a new heart, a heart of flesh and his law is written on it. So no longer does the law contradict, but rather it now functions like a guidepost to teach us the things that are pleasing to God, to keep us on the path to the celestial city to refer to Pilgrim's Progress. See, when you were in school, many of you in high school, you might have had a dress code. You had to dress a certain way, and you had to have a certain type of backpack, or at least we did, with holes in it, mesh, so you could see the interior. And you had to be certain places at certain times, and you couldn't leave till a certain time. And there were all these rules. You couldn't be in the hallway without a hall pass, and, and all sorts of things. And then you graduated. And you got your degree or whatever, your diploma. You graduated. The law still exists in some fashion, but you're not under it. And all the things that it taught you still have application. You need to be where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. You ought to dress a certain way whenever you go into certain areas. Nobody shows up to a job interview in workout clothes, most people, and, right, and on and on. There's all sorts of things that it taught you, but it no longer stands binding over you to punish you. In like manner, the law of God now does not contradict our true nature. Rather, it works with us and teaches us, guides us, directs us into things that are pleasing to God. Literally, our desires are transformed as our minds are renewed. This is why, as a believer, you can look back on things you used to do books you used to read, movies you used to watch, things you used to laugh at, activity you, you used to engage in, and now at once upon a time it brought you joy and laughter, and that was all you wanted to do, and now you look upon it with zero appetite. It feels shameful or embarrassing. Why? Because your heart has been remade. Your desires are being transformed, and your mind is being renewed by the Word of God. This is a process. It takes time. And it's evidence that God is at work in you. So Luther's reply to that student, now what do you want? Is brilliant. Because what we want will demonstrate whether this has happened. Do you have a new heart that wants to please God? And yes, you do. You do. So you have a new heart. And then number four, last point, 
we have a new king. So we're freed from the law in the sense that we have a new king. Now that sounds a little strange. Wait, wasn't God always the king underneath the old covenant and under the new? No, sin reigned. Sin reigned and had dominion. You were not a a servant of the Most High. Rather, Ephesians 2 says you were captive. You were under disobedience. Children, sons of Satan is ultimately what he would say. So Romans 6.14, Paul says this, Sin will have no dominion over you. Why? Since you are not under the law, but under grace. We are free from the law in this fourth sense. And that God has moved us from the realm of death and sin and all the demands that the law brought. Now that those demands are fulfilled in Christ, we stand in the realm of grace and supply. uh, Romans 5, 21. We stand in grace. In our new position, God promises to work in us in spite of our sin and failings in order to conform us into the image of Christ. In order to conform us to the image of Christ. So let me flesh this out a little bit more. And the old dominion where sin reigned, the law stood against us and demanded things of us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. It demanded, do not have any other gods before me. It demanded, honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not commit adultery. Do not covet. All these different demands, and we had no supply to fulfill them, which is why we were slaves. We're slaves of sin. The new realm where we have been reborn with a new life, a new heart. We have a new king who promises to move heaven and earth to work in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. See, in Christ, it all depends on God, ultimately, to work in you that which is pleasing. And so, Christ... Ooh, Dr. Oreck, help me out, Dr. Oreck. I'm going to summon... The spirit of Dr. Oreck Christ executes the office of a king in subduing us to himself and ruling and defending us and in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. Dr. Oreck put the Baptist catechism to music. I don't want to sing it to you. Christ executed the office of a king. And subduing us to himself, ruling. All right, so that's why Nick leads worship, but it's a good catechism for children. You should check it out. It stays with you. Christ as our king conquers, overcomes our sinful bent, supplies us with everything we need, and draws us to himself, ultimately. So Paul can say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God. It is God. It is God who is at work in you to will and to do of His good pleasure. I 
often we are shocked by our sins, aren't we? You can be surprised at our failures. I can't believe I was such a moron. How could I have done this? We can be shocked by our sin, our failures, but know this, God never is. Ever think about that? Not one time do you ever throw God off. Oh, I wasn't expecting him to do that. Hmm, what am I going to do now? God's never shocked. He knew every sin you would commit before he ever rescued you. He knew every moral failing you would have before he ever set his love on you. And yet, he loves you anyways. He's never surprised. And actually, in his own mysterious methods, means, he's not surprised. Rather, he controls all things, including the moral failings of his people for his glory and their good and the good of others. We see this in Peter's denial of Christ. It's worth meditating on briefly. Luke 22, 31-34. We all know this famous passage. Christ is about to be crucified. He says to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said to him, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times. Now we see a few things in this passage. Peter doesn't realize his own weakness, does he? He doesn't see it. Christ sees it perfectly. That's the first two things. Peter doesn't see his weakness. I'm ready to go with you to death. Jesus sees it perfectly. When you've turned, strengthen your brothers. We see number three, that Christ grants Satan permission to sift Peter like wheat temporarily. Satan has demanded to have you. I'm going to hand you over temporarily. And when you have turned. See? And then there's a purpose. The result of Peter's failure is going to be to see his own sinful pride, his own self-reliance, and to be nearer to Christ forever. Peter would never go on to, re- to deny Jesus again, would he? Peter would see his own failure, and then after his failure and restoration as a result of Christ's prayer, Peter is now in a position to write the book of 1 and 2 Peter and strengthen others to stay faithful. It's incredible. It's amazing. Our king sees our sin and our failure, and promises to supply everything we need to use all things, including our sin, other sins against us, to turn them in a mysterious way such that we can proclaim in Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. So, beloved, what does your life look like? Are you a believer this morning? Do you realize these four ways that you have been freed from the law? 
not guilty, or guilty and pardoned. You have a new legal status. You have new life. Truly, you really do. God is pleased with you. You have a new heart, new resources to do that which is pleasing to God, and a new king. Rejoice today. Rejoice today. You have great cause. No matter what your circumstances are, you may walk in holiness and newness of life with the unstoppable knowledge and zeal and confidence that comes from knowing God's power and love towards you. Amen. Are you in Christ? Maybe you're not. If you're here, you're an unbeliever, you're not in Christ. Know this, judgment is coming. You will give an account. Right now, you are under condemnation in God's wrath. Right this second. But you don't have to be. See, John 3 also says, God sent his Son into the world not to condemn the world, but in order that the world through him might be saved. You need to make a decision today. Joshua 1 said, choose you this day whom you will serve. Today, not tomorrow, not later, today I would impress on you to make a decision to follow Christ and know that all the working you've been doing to try to make your life right, all the efforts you do to try to do things and say, ah, I think God is pleased with me, none of it will account to nothing but faith in Christ faith in Christ. And he offers that to you today. Newness of life, forgiveness of sins. Don't wait. And maybe you're a believer and you're here. Maybe you don't have a church family. Maybe you don't have a church community, a a group of believers to come alongside and encourage you. I want to join, I want to encourage you to join us here at Kahalui Baptist Church. Make Kahalui Baptist Church your ohana today. If you don't have one, you need one. You need a church family. Every believer should be connected to a local church. You don't have to watch Animal Planet very long to know what happens to sheep who are outside the fold. They get eaten. It's never good. Come today. We'd love to talk to you about membership at KBC and gospel-centered community. God bless you guys and Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it'll take eternity for us to meditate on these realities, to learn them, what it means that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. And in him we have the blessings of Abraham to the Gentiles, to us. We have a new heart, and you are pleased with us as our king. May you grant that we would turn from sin, that we would not present our members as instruments for unrighteousness, but that we would present ourselves to God and experience this full and abundant life that you promised. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.